the Lord is, is, is shifting and he's speaking to us that it is the time to be massively forwardly active in our approach, our approaching of him and in fulfilling the Great Commission because the time is short. I mean, it's wrapping up. I mean, if, if you are not aware of the acceleration of wickedness, which is the greatest, one of the greatest signs that Jesus is coming back soon is the acceleration of wickedness. And if you're not aware that wickedness is accelerating at an exponential rate, uh, then I, I don't know where you are or what you're paying attention to because the insanity of what is flowing out and understanding, we need to understand why, why are some of these things being shoved so aggressively? Why is this transgender agenda being shoved so massively? And it's utterly insane. And multigender and trans fluid and whatever, all the other things. Every week they make up a new one and they come up with a new one. Why is this so much out there? Because it is an assault against the sovereignty of God. You see, homosexuality or any other immoral life is a, a rejection of God's authority, right, to tell us how to live. But a rejection of our God, because we were all created, God fashioned us all. He made us. To reject the gender that God has made us is to reject God's sovereignty. We're actually saying, you, 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 not only do you not have the right to tell me what to, how to live my life, but I, don't, I reject your right to even lay, to, to claim that you actually created me. So all of that, why is it being shoved so much? Because it is, an, it is the most aff great, greatest affront to the sovereignty of God that we have ever had in our society. That is why they're shoving it in the schools. And, and, and there's such a, a strong delusion. You know, psychologists still call it gender dysphoria. There's not a single biologist in the world that says there's more than two genders. It is not scientific. The party that claims to be scientific, that claims all of that, it's a denial of that. And it is an assault. It's, it's literally a violence against humanity. It's a violence against God and a violence against humanity. Yeah. Come on, amen? Yeah. Never, never in my lifetime had I seen such an assault on women. Do I have to go into this detail, folks? Come on. When you have men competing against women because they claim to be women, and then the women can no longer win, I mean, this is an assault against women. I just read in one of the high schools in, in Boston, one of the high schools, they sat there and they're sitting there telling the, the, the whole thing that any student can go into the bathroom of their gender identity, and if a girl, if the girl is uncomfortable with a naked boy running around the girl's bathroom, what you need to do is not stop the naked boy from running around. You need to counsel the girl on and get her to be more sensitive. Are you hearing me, folks? Now, do you think that, that anywhere near a majority of Americans actually agree with that? It is not true. I don't care. Liberal, independent, conservative, the mass majority, 85, 90% saying that's absolutely nuts. But why is it coming? Because wickedness is increasing. <laughs> but when sin doth abound, the grace of God abounds all the more. And what is the grace of God? The grace of God is the undeserved favor of God that gives you access 
to the power and the presence of God for everything you need for life and godliness. I'm going to say that again. The grace of God is the favor. Everybody say the favor. It's undeserved favor. It gives you access to the power of God for everything you need for life and for godliness. That's, that's right out of Second Thessalonians. I'm sorry, out of Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So grace and peace be, every say multiplied. Remember we talked about he whose mind is stayed on the Lord is that perfect peace. So how is grace and peace multiplied? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That is why the, the warfare that is going on is to either remove the preaching about Jesus or pervert the preaching of who Jesus is. It is amazing that I've heard people on the news recently say, they say, if Jesus was here on the earth, he would be accused of being woke. He would be pro-LGBT. He would be pro-transgender. He would be pro-abortion. I, I, y'all looking at me strange. Or do you get uncomfortable when I actually call out the wickedness that's in the world? Uh Huh? Well, get used to it because the real prophets are coming back. Not the the phony prophets who tell everybody, oh, you're just going to be blessed, and you're going to be blessed, and you're going to be blessed. Now give me some money, and you're going to be really blessed. Come on, the real prophets are coming out, and they're going to stand up, and they're going to speak to to the powers and the principalities. They're going to speak to authorities, and they're going to call out the wickedness. Because Jesus is bridegroom, king, and judge. Uh, I'm going to say that again. Jesus is bridegroom, king, and judge. Someone say, and judge. Hebrews chapter 12 it tells us, looking under, uh, and, and therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, verse 1, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and that's the whole chapter 11 of the faith chapter, talking about all those that endured and pressed through, even many that never received the pro- or for- saw the fulfillment of the promise, but they pressed through. He said, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking un. To Jesus. Everybody say, looking unto Jesus. I love what that means. That word looking literally means this. To fix your attention on and look away from everything else. So he's saying, looking unto Jesus. Look away from everything else and fix your attention on Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. We got to look away from everything else and fix our attention on him. Keep your eyes focused on him. The author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy, someone said the joy. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despising the shame. Now we get caught in something because we tend to focus at the cross as the end game and the final solution. And the work was completed in the sense of his purchasing of us on the cross, but there is much more yet to come. Because 
He died upon the cross, was raised from the dead, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God until the Father makes all his enemies his footstool. Until he comes back to come here to rule and reign here on the earth. The joy set before him, I've always said it was you he was looking at. But the joy set before him was not even just on that people are now going to be born again on the other side of the cross. The joy, he was looking all the way forward, thousands of years ahead, to the point when he would come and rule and reign here on the earth. And the full marriage supper of the Lamb would take place. And he would restore all things unto the Father. Huh? He was looking ahead. There's something about having your focus on a future hope that will even give you joy in the midst of suffering. I'm going to say that. Come on. There's something about having your focus on a future hope that will give you joy even in the midst of suffering. Huh? Come on. Every mother can, that has ever had a baby can testify. There is that expectation of the fulfillment of the birth of that child that somehow, even in the suffering, but there is this ability to drive through suffering that most men could not even get close to handling. Come on, amen? Come on, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. I don't know what you're talking about, but you, you have told me. <laughs> Is that it's, like, it's, it's, it's like passing a basketball. And I was like, no, okay, I get it. <laughs> but, there is, but there's this joy. That is nothing in comparison to when we begin to focus on heat. That's why the Lord has given me this word. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Focus on Jesus and what he is focused on. Not just on him and his beauty, which is amazing, and we need to be looking unto him, but also be focused on what he is focused on. Because if you're only just focused on, on if, you're, if you're only talking about who he is right now, which is so huge, and you're only thinking backwards to the cross, it sometimes becomes very difficult to endure the th- sufferings that we go through. Because you begin to wonder, it begins in your mind, what is the purpose of all this? Why am I going through this? Why is the world so messed up? What is going on? Are you all hearing me? But when you begin to understand God's plan, God's purpose, God's nature, what he is accomplishing, and you begin to lean and trust in his leadership, that he knows exactly what he's doing, And that he's actually working an eternal plan because he is the very embodiment of wisdom. That he is wisdom itself. Because when we see him, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but when we see him in the book of Revelation, we see Jesus with a, a head and hair as white as wool, white as snow. It speaks, it points back to the first time white was ever attributed to God. And that was in Daniel chapter 7 when Daniel saw the ancient of days, God the Father, come and sit upon the throne and the court of heaven was seated ready to judge the end time events. 
ready to execute judgment and destroy the Antichrist. That's the first time in context, the first time in Scripture we see white associated with God. So, and, especially, and it's specifically a white hair and white head. And now it's describing Jesus the same as God the Father. So he's pointing to us and saying, the one who is going to finally judge all things, the one who is righteous, and the one who is going to defeat all evil, that one you can trust in his leadership. Because he's already revealed what the end is going to be. So he's made provision for every step of the way. Are you all hearing me? The hope. Someone say hope. The hope. The future hope. Scriptures even say, they that have this hope purify themselves. One of the reasons why so many Christians get so wishy-washy and so compromising is because they're not actively hoping in the second coming of Christ. They're not actively hoping in Jesus coming back here to rule and reign. Huh? In fact, we hardly hear any messages on anymore. Right? Right? Most of what we hear in our churches is a nutch of nothing, nothing more than a bunch of self-help psychology. You know, Right? Make you feel good, make you feel good. Maybe give you one or two verses, you know, and that you don't even remember, and they don't, they don't take you into anything, and, and it's all about that, and then it's all about now, how you can have a happy life now, how you can have success now, how you can have money now. Boy, do a how-you-can sermon series, and people will come out. Say, you know, we're going to talk about Jesus coming back. We've been hearing that for years, Brother Steve. I remember when there was 88 reasons why Jesus would come in 88. And then 89 reasons, because we missed one in 89. And Y2K, no, 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 there's a hope. Jesus is coming back. And when I see the wickedness that's arising, the wickedness that's happening, the perversion, you can get really worked up about it. Well, maybe you don't, but I can. You can get really worked up about it, and this is disgusting. And how can anybody believe that stuff and all of this craziness that's going on? When you look what's coming out of California, my home state, and see what's coming out of Sacramento in the insanity and the justification of wickedness, pretending it's moral. Oh, uh, you know, I didn't hear that. Listen, listen, let's go to Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 for a moment. I'm going to show you thing, something two, in two places. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Hmm? Don't let the hard educated person be excited about their supposed wisdom. Hello? Because the, the, the wisdom of God, the wisdom of men, the wisdom of God is foolishness to men. And even the Bible says, even the foolishness of God, if there be such a thing, is greater than the wisest of all men. So there is no comparison. So let not the wise man glory where we're hard, the expert. How many of you are so tired of the last two years? The experts say. The experts don't know nothing. It's proven, too. They were wrong on almost everything. The experts, the experts. And, and, and what they're telling you is sit down, shut up, be quiet, don't speak, don't, don't declare, don't be prophetic, don't, don't say that. No, no, no. I'm going to tap in the wisdom of God. Because the craziness of what's coming upon the earth right now, and we're seeing, and you've got to be ready for this, the craziness coming, it is going to come with a demonic anointing to lie and deceive. It's going to sound so right and so good and so moral and even like Jesus that if you don't have the wisdom of God, you will easily be swept away. And you'll say, but they're the experts. No, let, the let, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. We celebrate and exalt the strong people. 
Huh? We love, we love to celebrate. Even in the church, we want, we want, we want everybody's drawn to the church that got the big crowd and the, has got the big personality and the one with the big influence. We're all drawn to that. God says, no, all of that's going to mean nothing in the days coming. And let not the rich man glory in his riches. Huh? Well, why do people even listen to Hollywood stars? Because they're famous, because they got money? We listen to them? No. But let him who glories glory in this. Let him who gets excited glory in this. I, 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 I can feel I'm ruffling some feathers. That's all right. Get ready. Just, 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 if I'm stepping on your feet, just pull your shoes in. Just Because it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse because we got to start speaking the truth. Because when you begin to see Jesus as he really is, it's going to mess with you. It messes with, I mean, there's a, there's a, he, listen, Jesus said this. This is a shocking statement about when he returns. Blessed is, is he who is not offended at me. Wait, 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 wait. Why would anybody be offended? Jesus, the Jesus that we have, the image that we have, meek and mild, gentle, you know. I mean, come on. I like what Misty Edwards' song says. He's not a baby in a manger anymore. He's not that little baby, oh, he's so cute, oh, isn't that so precious? No, he says, when I come back, we see it in Isaiah 63, his, blood, his garment's going to be covered with blood because he has tread underfoot. He has trampled the winepress, as he says. When he comes back and the sum of the stuff that God is going to do, if we don't understand his nature, who he really is, it will shake us. Huh? Because people are being... Even in the church, they're being propagated with an image of Jesus that's not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is perfect, not the image we've painted. We have this image, we say, this is the kind of Jesus that we want. We want the Jesus that is always forgiving, always accepting, always merciful, and never makes anybody feel bad, and never just, you know, just... Come on, we have this image of Jesus that, well, if it's love, then it's God. And, ah, you know, and, you know, all you need is love. Ah, da, 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 da. You know, and, <laughs> he says, let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, who I really am. That he understands and he knows me, that I am the Lord. Someone say Yahweh. That's that word right there. I am Yahweh. I am the God of covenant relationship. And I am exercising loving kindness. We like that part. Judgment. And righteousness. Huh? Bridegroom, judge, and king. I am the Lord. I'm executing loving kindness. I am also at the same time executing judgment and righteousness where? In the earth. I'm not waiting for everybody to get to heaven to do this. I am doing this in the earth right now. I am executing loving kindness. I am executing, and that word loving kindness means loyal love. It's an unfailing kindness, a devotion, a love or affection that is steadfast based upon a, relation, a prior relationship. 
He says, I am a God. I exercise, exercise loyal love, but I also exercise judgment and righteousness where? Someone say in the earth. For in these, in these, in these I delight, says the Lord. Remember in Hosea chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, we, we just touched on a briefly yesterday. This is the first time that the, mayor, the, the bride of Christ revelation begins to be unveiled just a little bit. Where he begin, God begins to talk about that he's going to betroth us. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice. Let me put this in your spirit. The Bible says, okay, he's coming to rule and reign here, right? The Bible says, what are the foundations of his throne? Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. If you don't have righteousness, which is that, that righteous right living, not that you, we always say righteousness, what's just right standing with God. It is so beyond that. It is right living. It is m- true heavenly morality. Living according to God's standards and justice. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of the throne. In loving kindness and mercy. So we have all of it mixed together. He said, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And I love this. And you shall... Know the Lord. There it is again. Know me. Know me in my loving kindness. Know me in my judgments. And know me in my righteousness. Know me in all of those areas. Then you will know me. Looking away from all things else, everything else, and unto Jesus. So let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Are you all with me on this? This is the, listen, there's dramatic changes coming to the understanding. The world has decided to de- redefine who Jesus is. And much of the church is following along with it. And the world is trying to grab the moral high ground. In the whole transgender, and I'm going to use that because it's so clear, they believe they're being more moral. We're teaching the children to be loving, to be not judgmental, to be forgiving, to be, right? We're teaching them to be like Jesus in their image of what Jesus is like. They're claim, that's, why, that's why they have no problem going behind parents' backs because they believe they're morally superior to you. They believe you are the ones in bondage. The church, the Christians are the one in bondage. And it is the them, the experts, the elite, the wise and the powerful in this world. They're the ones who have the real concept of real morality and what real justice is and what real kindness and loving and mercy is. They have, we're redefining this. Is, and, and, and then they say, see, that's kind of like Jesus. Jesus is those things and we were de- redefining it. And they're literally, turning to the church and saying, you've got this whole thing wrong. Are you always with me on this? Why do you think the world is going to, why do you think the world is going to go along with the persecution of the saints in the end times? Because the world is going to convince the, 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 the ungodly forces and the antichrist is going to convince the world that the Christians are the ones that are standing in the way of a new human uh, uh, realm of utopia. 
a new moral, a new place of experience, of humanity, of peace, and of joy, and of prosperity. And they're going to convince the world that it is the Jews and it is the Christians that are the enemies of real peace. Huh? Why do you think Hitler was able, why do you think so many Germans sat back while Hitler murdered six million Jews? Because he had convinced them the Jews were the enemy to their prosperity. The enemy of their joy. The enemy of their safety. So we have to begin to focus in on who it is and who he is. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read several verses. The revelation of Jesus. Thank you, Father. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. That he must take, that he, that the things which must take, are shortly take place. And he's. And he signified, he sent and signified it by his angels, his servant John. Let's jump to verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the firstborn, or the faithful witness, the faithful witness. I, I'm going to hit on this real quick because here's the beginnings of the 30 descriptions of Jesus. First is Jesus. Second is Christ. I'm going to jump on the third one for a moment. Everybody sit and say faithful witness. Jesus is the faithful witness. He fully, truly, completely witnessed of the Father here, and he was faithful. That word faithful literally means worthy of complete trust. Because Jesus emptied himself of all of his God attributes, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his, everywhere, his all-knowing, his all-power, and his everywhere present. He emptied himself and took on the form of a man. He came down into human being, humbled himself, and became obedient, even to an obedient of death upon the cross. He suffered so much. He lived a sinless life. He fully obeyed the Father. He followed through on the will of the Father because he had gone all the way even to the death of the cross and was raised from the dead. Because he was faithful to fulfill what he had done, he has proven himself worthy of our complete trust. Huh? Are are you hearing me? He is worthy of your trust. When people say, I'm having a hard time trusting God. No, no, no. You You failed to see him as the faithful witness. If you focus on him as the faithful witness that he was faithful in all things, he who always is faithful will remain faithful because he cannot change. And if because he was faithful to his father, enduring such suffering at the hands of evil men, I can trust him now that he, that he who began a good work in me shall bring it into completion. He is faithful to fulfill every word. He's worthy. Someone say he's worthy. Say it again. Say he's worthy of my complete trust. So please, we got to get off of ourselves. Get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes on he is faithful. I can trust him. Get back into the innocence of that child, that young child who, who's standing on the edge of the pool and daddy's in the pool and daddy's holding out the arms and that young child just runs because he knows daddy is going to catch him. Oh, how much more so can we just run? Just, we're just running hard after you because we know you are faithful to lead to every step of the righteous man is ordered of the Lord. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Oh, the glory of the Lord is my rear guard. I can run hard after you because you are faithful. Come on, have you conceived what he did, what he left? 
scientists, we estimate that in, you know, in the earth is one, the sun is one million times bigger than the earth. It means you could put a million earths inside our sun. And our sun is not a particularly big sun. And there's hundreds of millions of stars in our one galaxy. And there are estimates that there are billions, hundreds of billions of galaxies in the known universe. At traveling at the speed of light, the known universe that we know now, it would take 15.7 billion years to travel across the entire universe. And God says, I fill all of that with myself. I measure it with the span of my hand. And that gigantic God came to live in a human vessel. Unlimited power in a teeny leeny living space. Like two of you got that joke. <laughs> Come on, right? Why all this power? He left all of that. He filled himself. And he said he came into human form forever. Forever. That's why he called himself 85 times the son of man and only seven times the son of God forever. Now, because he's a fully spirit and fully natural being, he is still everywhere present, but he's also contained in a human body forever. He chose. Why? So he could have complete fellowship with us. He who was faithful to, to leave all of that, to bring himself and to suffer. Come on, the God who fills the universe even allowed people to spit on him and beat him and mock him and curse him and, and punch him. He allowed all of that because the joy that was set before him, he was faithful. And because he was faithful to do that, I can completely trust, no matter what's going on in my life, I can trust in him. He is worthy. Come on, someone say, he is worthy. Say, Jesus, you are worthy of my trust. The only reason we struggle with trust is we're not looking at his faithfulness. That's, I mean, that's it. Come on. I'm not trying to be harsh. The only reason we ever struggle with trust is we get our eyes on our circumstances. We listen to the media. We spend too much time on Facebook and Twitter and TikTok. And instead of we're focusing with your focus on, oh, look at you. You're so huge and you feel you were so faithful to do all that. And he who began a good work in me shall bring it unto completion. I saw the words you prayed to your father. You said, Father, I will lose none whom you gave me. Shoo. So I can trust, watch this, in your leadership. See, it's interesting because one of the dynamics that's happened in why so many relationships are torn apart is we have tried to build all our human relationships based upon this issue called trust. Right? People say trust is the foundation of every marriage. Trust is the foundation of every relationship. Not according to scriptures. The Bible never told you to trust one another. Why? Because God's not stupid. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. To, God will never tell you, trust Steve. He will never. He's like, hey, he might be pretty good, but trust me. God will say, trust me. Don't trust him completely. Oh, not that he's a thief or a liar or a cheater. He's flawed. Oh, come on. Can we have a little? Come on, amen. He's flawed. He's still in a weak human vessel. 
He's still subject to weak human emotions and temptations and, and sometimes just stupid thoughts. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, it's true. Now, don't look at me like you've never done a stupid thing. He said, well, that was dumb. Don't trust <laughs> Right? And you're like, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. The Lord says, yeah, yeah, that really was stupid. But that's all right. Just look to me next time. Wait on me. It'll be all right. He didn't call us to trust one another. He called us to love one another. He called us to trust him. And so not only just not only do I trust him for me, but I trust him in my interactions with other people. Well, this is heavy. But 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 I got hurt. Well, well all right. again, usually that because we got our eyes on ourselves. There was a my my son James had a vision one time and and he saw this very deformed child come up and his wife picked up the child and was loving all over the child, and then this just wretched, drug-addicted, angry, violent, disgusting-smelling-looking uh, teenager came up to him, and he said, Lord, are these the ones you're calling me to love? And he said, no. These are the ones I've sent you to teach you how to love. The unlikely, the un... Do, do you understand? Some of the people you have the most <clears throat> issues with are actually the people God sent to you to teach you how to love like he loves? Oh, this is not going well. <laughs> Let's go talk about the glory. Come on. If you only like the people that are likable, you have di- you've done nothing. No, he's going to teach you how to love by se- sending you unloving people, unlo- unlikable people. And people that are hard to love. Come on, amen. And you might be married to one. No, no, no. (laughs) We'll have a marriage healing service at the end. (laughs) Somebody say he's faithful. He is the faithful witness. He was faithful, and the Bible says he's faithful and true. Guys, when he comes back, And riding on the horse, written on him, his legs, is faithful and true. So he was faithful before, and when he comes back, it's saying, faithful. You're going to cry out when you see him. He's faithful. He said he was coming back. He said he was going to do it. He said he was going to fulfill it. He is faithful. Oh, God, forgive me for every time I've even for a moment doubted your faithfulness. He is more committed to me than I am committed to him. And he is, it's impossible for him to be faithless. Come on, the Bible says even when we are, when, when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? For, because he cannot deny himself. That word deny is a powerful word. That word deny actually means to, to reject knowledge of. In order for God to be unfaithful, he would actually have to reject the knowledge of himself. I mean, this is crazy. He would have to, because the Bible says that all of universe is held together by his word of power in Hebrews. It says, it says the whole universe is propelled by the word of, 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 by his word of power. The whole universe maintains and is existing because the word he spoke. If he lied, if he was not totally faithful for one second, the universe would literally fall apart. 
So God is not going to risk the whole universe just so he cannot fulfill his promise to you. Let's say that here. Come on. God is not going to risk the entire cohesiveness of the universe in order to not be faithful to you. Because if he wasn't faithful to you or to one person for one moment, everything would unravel. He's not going to let everything unravel. Therefore, he is worthy of my complete trust. He's firstborn from the dead. Oh, that's, that's five hours right there. And ruler over the kings of the earth. Everybody say he's ruler. Can, can we smack the devil here for one moment? Please don't fall into the ridiculous lie that because he's the ruler of the kings of the earth, that means that every authority is God's choice. That's what people are saying. That's what people are saying. Let's bring it right home, make people uncomfortable because I love to do that. Well, since Joe Biden is in the, in the office of president, it must have been God's will. All right, all right, you accept that? Fine. Then you must accept that it was God's will for Hitler. Are you saying that God said, oh, I anoint you, my faithful servant, to Hitler? Uh, see, see, you understand? When you start thinking these things true, you go, wait, 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 wait. God may say, I'm the ruler of all things, but he also allows men to, to they have a free will, and he allows them to go down the path of their wickedness. Huh? That'll just mess with you. Come on, amen. You know what, honestly, most of that is? Most of that comes from, I'm going to be so, uh, people are going to be mad at me. But most of that comes from lazy Christians who don't want to actually engage in dealing with the challenges that we're facing. So we just sit back and say, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. It really doesn't matter to me. As long as I have my, 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 as long as I have a paycheck, as long as I have a car, as long as I can take a vacation, as long as I'm happy, it doesn't matter. No, it seriously matters. It seriously matters. When you go over to Kenya and you watch, and over there, the, the people are standing in line for eight hours to hopefully get a little bit of gas, a little bit of fuel, and all of that's caused because of the things that are happening in America. When you begin and you see the starvation and the empty shelves in Sri Lanka, and all of that is happening because our nation got stolen. Russia invading Ukraine because our nation got stolen. I mean, you say, well, why do you speak about this? Because it's we're talking the poor in the world are suffering. That's why I speak about it, but we'll move on. Firstborn among the dead, ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And then, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Everybody say kings and priests. This is one of those most misunderstood verses in Scripture because we look at that and we say he has made us kings and priests unto God. And so we've got a lot of teaching out there. People say, well, there's the king people. They're out there, you know, business people, and they're doing all the business things, and they're, in, they're authorities or influencers in society. And then there's the priestly people. They're the people that like to go to Genesis Upper Room. They're the people that like to come here and just worship God and just get lost in his presence, you know. They're, 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 so you got the king people, and then you got the priest people. I've heard this taught. That's not what it means. 
It's not what it says. The Bible sits there and, and tells us that, that Jesus, it is not that he is, is the king and priest. Let's go to Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. We're going to see what this really is. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. Are you all with me? Hallelujah. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice. Wow. Something's hitting me, something sideways. You ever have God, like you're in the middle of something, God starts hitting you sideways or something? Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice. Everybody say, obey my voice. And keep my covenant. Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine. But I'm going to mark you special. When, when I find an obedient people that will keep my covenant. Now, I didn't say perfectly obedient. Thank God for the blood. Come on, if you, if you confess, if you, if you repent, if you sin, repent of your sins, and confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. For the blood of Jesus Christ wasn't a one-time event. It actually speaks that when the blood cleanses us, that word cleanses, actually, it, the original Greek word speaks of a continual nonstop flow. The blood continues to flow and continues to cleanse. As we walk in a continual life of repentance, the blood cleanses us from all our filth and all of our sins. He says, I will, he said, you will be a treasure to me, and you shall be my, to me, a kingdom of priests. Not, it's, commentators now say in Revelation, it's much better translated a kingdom of priests. You're going to be priests with kingly authority. A kingdom of priests. But the reason we don't get excited about that, one of the reasons is we have no idea what a priest is. But Jesus, the Bible says, this is why I believe Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, it says, it says that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation by having the eyes of your heart flooded with light so you will know and understand the hope of his calling. What is his calling? What is Jesus' greatest calling? He ever liveth to intercede. Jesus, the Bible says, is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Je Jesus didn't take on the high priesthood just long enough to shed his blood, say, whoo, I'm glad that's over with, and then move on. He said, no, the Bible says he is a priest forever. Someone say, he is a priest forever. And I am making a people a kingdom of priests. You, you might get excited in a moment. <laughs> Our struggle comes because we view priests as a religious person in a robe doing religious activities. Huh? We've almost made the word priest like, like a dirty word. We don't see the priesthood as the most sacred and intimate intercourse with the glory of God himself. I'm going to say that again. Lord, help this get in there. We don't see the priesthood as the most sacred and intimate intercourse with the glory of God himself. Only the priest could get close to the glory. Anybody could be out in the camp. 
The believers could come to the edge of the tabernacle, but only the priests could enter the holy place. And only the high priest could enter the holy of holies and engage with the glory of God. He says, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. I'm going to make you and your joint heirs with my son Jesus, who is the high priest forever. So I'm not even just making you kind of some kind of priest. I'm making you a kingdom of high priests that have the legal right to come before my manifest your glory and engage in the most intimate intercourse with me. To minister unto me. The priest. We fail to see the priest as a royal, kingly, God-chosen position. To minister to God isn't to perform some ministerial service. It is to connect and touch the heart of God in the most intimate and personal way. Let me say that again. To minister to God isn't to perform just some ministerial service. It is to connect. Everybody say to connect. And touch the heart of God in the most intimate and personal way. When you come to church, we're not coming. Can I have a tissue, please? We're not coming just singing some song services, so doing some songs, you know. We're not coming just to sing, do a little sing-along and say, oh, I really like that song. Woo! Because you hear it, you know. You hear it, people are like, woo, oh, there's a certain song they like, and everybody's like, oh, yeah, wow, you know, oh, I really like that song, I really like the words. No, so many times we come, and we say we're coming before the presence of God, and we sing along as long as we feel like it, but we don't realize that we have been chosen by God with a special kingly authority anointing to come boldly to the throne and to connect with God in the most intimate and personal way. Oh, that we have been given a special privilege that is even deeper than the angels. I'm going to say that again. The angels can surround the throne and worship God, but we get to come and we are hid with God in Christ. We're in it. We're there. We are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. We are as close to the Father as you can get. We have been given an access that the cherubim and the seraphim and the angels and Gabriel and Michael don't even have. We have been given kingly right to have the most intimate connection with God. If that doesn't start changing your approach to worship service and prayer time, Come on, when you just say, whoa, I have been given, I've been anointed with a kingly anointing to come boldly, to connect with God, and to touch the heart of God in the deepest, most intimate way. God says, I'm letting you in to touch me in a way angels can't even touch me. The priesthood is to behold and connect with the glory of God 
and then to proclaim that revelation throughout eternity. I'm going to say, I'm going to say that again because it's not even just here on the, on the earth in our present day. The priesthood is to behold and connect with the glory of God. And then the other job of the priest was to minister to the people. So we connect with God in the most intimate way. And then we come out and we, we release and release the revelation and we reflect that glory to the lost and dying world. And even through all eternity. God will be revealing his nature through us. Remember, Jesus said, I have made you known and will continue to make your name known. I will continue to reveal. I will continue to reveal who you are, your character, your nature, your authority, your kingdom, your name. And we are joint heirs with Christ Jesus. He is a priest. When Jesus says, I will continue to make you known, he says, I'm functioning in my priestly anointing. My priestly anointing is I'm ministering to you, Father. You know, Jesus ministers to the Father. Okay, we got to pause here for a second. Go to, go to Hebrews 2 for just a second. You can just go to Hebrews 2 because this is just too good. Because some of you just looked at me like, what? <laughs> Huh. The Bible speaks of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, beginning with verse 11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one. Talk about Jesus and us. For which reason he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call us his brethren, saying, this is Jesus talking, I will declare your name, Father, to my brethren, right? I will declare... Do you see the one part of the priesthood? I will reveal who you are to the brethren. And then look at the next part. And in the midst of the assembly, I, Jesus, will sing praises to you, my Father. So Jesus, as the eternal high priest, raising a kingdom of priests, comes and models. He says, I'm going to reveal who you are, Father, to them, and I am going to minister unto you in the midst of the assembly. He just showed us the two sides of the priesthood right there. Whew. First, let me give these these real quick. Are you all with me? First, number one, the priests were set apart fully to, for God. The priests were set apart fully to God. Leviticus 20, verse 26. And you shall be holy to me. For I am the Lord, I the Lord am holy. And have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. The priests were not wrapped up in worldly things. They lived their lives knowing that they had a special access to the presence of God. And that required a separation from unholy things. When you come, I'm going to say that again. They understood that they had a special access to the presence of God, which required them to be separated from unholy things. When you begin to grab a hold, guys, do you understand seeing Jesus as this? When they're describing him as he made a kingdom of priests, we begin to see Jesus under this title, the one who made a kingdom of priests. We begin to see that we are a kingdom of priests to minister unto God, that we have been given special access that angels don't even have to engage with God in the most intimate intercourse. When you begin to behold that and meditate on it and engage in that, you will not want to look at pornography. 
You will not want to gossip. You will not want to pollute and to bring anything in your life that will pollute. I won't have to rebuke you. Turn that away. You'll say, no, I want to have nothing to do with it because I've been separated for God. I am so enraptured in being in him, I don't want to pollute that. Come on, amen. Come on, you parents, you can understand that. I hope at least we used to be able to in the slightest bit that maybe there was something you would allow yourself to watch. But your little child, your little innocent five-year-old daughter walks in and there's violence or there's perversion or stuff. on, And, and you like, you turn off the TV. You stop your entertainment because I don't want to expose their innocence. I don't want to pollute their innocence. When you're before the holy throne of God in utter purity and innocence, you say, I don't want to preclude. I don't want to bring anything to mix with this. Number two, the priests were given access. We already touched on this. To behold God in his glory. Wow. Ezekiel 44. You see, we see this played out repeatedly. Only those who honored God and revered and feared him had access to his manifested presence. Ezekiel 44 is probably one of the most devastating passages for me in Scripture. Because Ezekiel 44, is, as they were coming out of the Babylonian captivity, and during the time of the Babylonian captivity, they weren't all taken as slaves. The Jews were taken away to Babylon, but they were allowed to prosper were given land. They were allowed to conduct business and farm and do all kinds of things, but they were told one thing. They said, you can keep worshiping your God. You can keep worshiping Jehovah, but the one thing you can't do is speak against our gods. Don't fight against our culture. Don't fight against our gods. Don't speak against our gods, and we will let you go on and prosper. And so what the priests would do is the priest became engaged in that, and the priest took on the idolatry, and the people took on the idolatry. And the Bible says that the priest, they ministered before their idols. They ministered to them, the people, before their idols. They ministered. They embraced. It's like playing a Nicki Minaj song at the beginning of a worship service because we're reaching the lost. This is what God says, Ezekiel 44, devastating. He calls these priests that compromised to task, beginning with verse 12. Because they ministered to them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity, therefore I have raised my hand in an oath against them, says the Lord, that they should bear their iniquity. And they should not, here's their punishment, they should not, Come near me to minister to me as priests. You compromise, you don't get to come near me. Nor come near any of my holy things. Nor into the most holy place. But they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. Nevertheless, I will keep, make them keep charge of the temple for all its works and for all that has to be done in it. They were allowed to continue to minister to the people, but they were not allowed to come before his manifested presence. I want to put that very deep in your spirit. The judgment 
was God let him stand at the gate and still take the sacrifice and minister to the people. God let them. He said, here's your punishment. You can get to go minister to people, but you can no longer come and minister in the holy of holies in the intimate place. This, to me, is one of the most devastating passages of Scripture. But then he turned to those who didn't compromise, the sons of Zadok. And he said, you who kept the worship pure, you can come and minister before me. And then he says, and you will put on linen garments, a special garment, a special pure garment. Isn't it so interesting? In Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, we see Jesus standing in the midst of the lampstands as the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to his feet. The same garment that Jesus is wearing. He's saying, I'm going to give it to you, the faithful priest. And that garment is not to minister to the people. That garment gives you access to the holy of holies. It is a special garment that is reserved for the kingdom of priests who have not compromised. Huh? Are you all hearing me? And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, thus saith the Lord, we're standing in the day right now where God is about to do an Ezekiel 44 judgment of the church. And he is about to come down and look at many, many ministries that have had all kinds of crowds, but they have compromised. And they sit there and preach, they preach on the, you know, on Sunday and they get drunk on Monday and they compromise and they're womanizing and they're, and they're, and they're worldly and they're embracing the philosophy of the world. And God says, oh, I'm not going to utterly reject you, but I am drawing a line. And I'm going to, you can keep ministering to the people. I'll keep anointing you. But you're not even going to get the taste of this new realm of glory that I'm about to release. Because I am going to give access to a kingdom of priests who love me and honor me that will come and first and foremost minister unto me. Huh? And you're going to see it. You're going to see some mega churches dwindle down to nothing. You're already seeing it. And you're going to see some other places that are going to be houses of such glory because they've learned how to be a kingdom of priests and just focusing on worship, honoring and worshiping God. And they will begin to reflect who Jesus really is. They were allowed to minister to the people, but were banned from accessing the holy place. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The revelation that he who loved us and washed us in his blood and made us a kingdom of priests should cause us to want to live a consecrated life. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 29 says this, Oh, how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? Living a worldly life and calling it grace is insulting the spirit of grace. The priest, <laughs> are you, are you, <laughs> Lord, help me get there. there it is. <laughs> the priest came to the table of showbread in the holy place. They got to eat of the bread, which speaks of divine revelation. And they got the drink, the cup, which speaks of deep covenant communion with God. The priests, only the priests. Those who take on this anointing of a kingdom of priests. People say, Brother Steve, where are you getting all this divine revelation? Because I just keep going here. 
I keep going to behold his glory. And as I behold his glory, as, as I honor him in all things, as I look to see him in everything, I asked the Lord last, I said, Lord, I, I, I thank you that you allow me to, so often I go to Yosemite or Yellowstone or just beautiful places. I, I, I end up in these, you know, these beautiful mountains and oceans and the big trees. And I said, Lord, thank you that you make that happen. He says, you know why I, I make that happen for you a lot? I says, why? He says, because you so enjoy me when you're there. Because I see him in it. I just, oh, look at your beauty. Oh, look at that. Oh, God, you're so amazing. Oh, he says, you so enjoy me. So I let I keep giving you opportunity to go back to those places and to go to places and see beauty in nature because you so enjoy me there, and I enjoy when you enjoy me. Oh. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14 says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings us into the most holy communion with God. He is, he is the revealer of the mysteries and secrets of God. Oh, I got to move on, got to move on. The priest had an inheritance none others had. The priests were not given an inheritance on the earth. Their inheritance was God's presence. Oh, my gosh. Come on, guys. When are we going to stop running to meetings that always promise, oh, hey, 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 God's going to give you a make you a millionaire, and God's going to give you great businesses, and we, and we need people to be millionaires. That's fine, and all of that. But, but we're all after, oh, I'm going to, oh, I've received faith. I've received the blessing of God. I got a new Mercedes. I got a big, nice, fancy house. I got this. I got that. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just not of that school, okay? I'm just not of that school. If you have those things, praise God. Use it for his kingdom, and, 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 and give God glory and honor for it. That's fine, but I'm not against those things. But you understand, I don't care. I don't want an inheritance here. I'm not trying to build more stuff here. I want his presence. And I want his presence ever increasing. And if I don't feel it ever increasing, I start checking my heart saying, okay, well, Lord, what's up? What's up? What's up? I want it more. I want it more. I want your presence. He is my inheritance and I am his inheritance. Deuteronomy 18, 1 and 2. The priests shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall, eat, they shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. The priests get to eat of God's portion. <laughs> they shall, therefore they shall have no inheritance among the brethren. The Lord is their inheritance. Oh, I mean, I cannot overstate the incredibleness of that comment. The Lord is. I remember God woke me up one morning, and he said, Son, many of the major ministries have misunderstood my favor. He said, They think that my favor on their ministry is my favor on them personally. He said, I will put favor on a ministry to advance my plans and my purposes. He said, I, I will sp I'll send it out. I'll put my favor to, to set my plans and my purposes. He said, but your favor is never to be measured by the crowds, by the money, by the influence, by the size of ministry. He said, son, your favor is only measured in one thing. 
the access I've given you to my presence. And I have met so many preachers that are dry and dead. They can preach up a storm because the gifts and call of God without, without repentance. And they can preach and minister under the anointing. But when they're in private, there is no life flow because they have been separated from his presence. And eventually they will burn out and die or compromise. Something's going to go wrong. Ha. Fifth. You'll like this one. The priests were supernaturally provided for by God. <laughs> God says, if you take on this kingly, this kingdom of priest anointing, you're not going to have to be struggling with how you get your needs met. Because I have, I have foreordained that the priests are taken care of. I literally command the earth. I command the earth. I command the, the world to take care of my priest. Uh, Y'all just looking at me straight. The priests were supernaturally provided for. Oh, I could spend an hour on that. Huh? And Deuteronomy 18, 3 through 5, and this shall be the priest's due from the people. For those who offer a sacrifice, whether it is a bull or sheep, they shall give to the priest the shoulder, the cheeks, the stomach. These are the good parts. The first fruits of the grain and your new wine and your oil and the first of your fleece of your sheep, and you shall give to him. Now, you look at it and say, well, that's the Old Testament, Brother Stephen, and, and you know, I'm not, I'm not in the ministry, so I can't receive the tithe. I look way beyond this. God ordered ordained this. So I'm going to walk as a kingdom of priests, and I'm going to look to the world and say, excuse me, hey, hey, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Zuckerberg, 10%. Bring it on. Come on. It belongs to the body of Christ. The wealth of the wicked is going to come into the hands of the righteous. And if you don't give it, God will take it from you because God supernaturally provides for his priesthood. Huh? Dick Brunell, right up the street here. Many years ago, he would drive by one of the big Silicon Valley things going into his, his, uh, uh, into his uh, church. He'd say, for a year, sir, you're going to come into my office and give me $3 million. I think it was $3 million. Give me $3 million. He did it for a year. He never met the man. My inheritance. He I said after about a year later, he said about a year after he started doing that, the secretary called up and said, uh, so-and-so from such and such business is here. He wants to see you. He was like, whoa, what? He knew his name, but didn't know who he, he never met him. The guy walks in. He says, I'm not a Christian, but I see what you're doing here. And he says, for some reason, I feel like I'm supposed to give you $3 million. So I, I, when I was driving by and I see Budweiser, you know, advertising, I said, Bud, you're going to give me some missions money. Not so I could drive a Rolls Royce, but so I could go help some orphans and I could help some people around the world and help build some churches. Huh? Number six, quick. The priests were given authority and a commission to reveal God to the people and to reconcile people to God through the revelation of Christ. Oh, I could just spend an hour. There's so much time on that. The priests were given, someone saying authority. 
and a commission to, they were given a commission to reveal God. It is those who are the kingdom of priests that are beholding God also receive a new authority to move in a new dimension of revelation anointing to bring the revelation of Christ to a lost and dying world. Then he says in Revelation 1-7, the very next phrase. Behold. Are you all with me? Is this all right? You're not in a rush? I hope not. He is coming with clouds. And every eye will see him. Now this is where we're, all of this is going to this tonight. Matthew 24, verse 30 and 31 says this. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man. Everybody say the Son of Man. They're going to see Jesus coming back in the size and the form of a man. The Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. So when he's coming on the clouds, he's not coming on any clouds. He's not coming on natural clouds, not riding some big cumulonimbus cloud. He is coming on the clouds of heaven. Every say the clouds of heaven. This is not say it again. Say the clouds of heaven. And with those clouds of heaven, with power and great glory. Oh, he's coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Someone say great glory. I want you to put those together in your spirit. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Exodus chapter 14, verse 19 and 20. I'm going to give you a number of verses here real quick. And the angel of God went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud, someone say cloud. There's the cloud. This is the supernatural cloud. The pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus, it was a cloud and darkness to the one, to the Egyptians, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one, the Egyptian, did not come near the other all night long. There is something about this cloud of heaven, this cloud that contains, that comes with great power and glory, that brings light and illumination to God's people, but blinds the heathen in darkness and builds a separation so they cannot even get at you. The cloud protects God's people from the spirit of darkness. The same cloud of glory that brings light to those who respond to God actually causes greater darkness to come to those who are enemies of God. 
Do not be surprised when this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and this awakening hits America that is beginning now, but it's going to come in ever-increasing measure, and we see greater and greater manifestations of God's glory. Do not be surprised when people who are standing in the same meeting actually become so hardened and so angry and so vengeful and deny everything they're seeing. Why? Because the cloud that brings light to those who humble themselves will bring darkness to those filled with pride. See, people say wrongly, well, if, if, oh, if only this kind of miracle happened, you know, where an arm grew out, everybody would believe absolutely false. In the midst of the manifestation of great power and glory, there will be many people that will go farther in darkness. Because their hearts have already turned from God, and they have already rejected God. And the cloud that brings light to us, the cloud of his glory, the cloud of heaven, brings darkness to the heathen. told you, if we don't begin to see Jesus as he is, if we don't understand what these revelations of who he is, we don't understand how he's working, then we get discouraged. Oh, but I thought, I thought, I thought if we pressed in and we got, we had such amazing services, I thought everybody would be fine. Why are they fighting us so hard? Can't they all see? No. The same cloud, cloud that's causing you to go, wow, look at Jesus, is causing them to be in utter darkness and blindness. Exodus 34, 5 and 7. Are you getting something? Because I'm going to show you how this cloud is produced in a moment. (laughs) Now the Lord, this is God coming down on Mount Sinai. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. (laughs) The Lord descended in this cloud of glory and revealed himself. Proclaimed his name. Are you all, come on, all weekend, we gotta be here. He proclaimed his name. He revealed himself in the cloud of glory. The Lord, the Lord God. Now here's what he reveals about himself. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful. We like that. Gracious, yes. Long-suffering, hallelujah. Abounding in goodness and truth. Keeping mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. By no means clearing the guilty. What? Wait a minute, you were just talking about all this mercy and grace. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting, that means to bring judgment, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I am a God of perfect justice. I abound in mercy and goodness and graciousness, but I will not also give room for the guilty. If they don't repent and accept my son's blood, I will judge them. And he declared that from the cloud. The cloud released the revelation, and when the revelation comes, it happens. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but that which is revealed belongs to us. Once God reveals it, it starts manifesting. So that when the cloud of glory came, revealed, I am gracious and merciful, long-suffering and kindness, and I am going to judge the wicked. So when this cloud of glory comes, church, when the glory cloud begins to come back to the church, you're going to see both things happening at the same time. You're going to see a massive increase of 
extravagant mercy and loving kindness of God, extravagant release of the revelation of who he is, and you're going to see an, ex- an extravagant increase in judgment. I could spend hours on that, but just, just think about Uzzah. Remember when he was, David was trying to bring the ark back? Every step of the ark coming back was a restoration of the glory. As the glory got about halfway to Jerusalem, halfway restored, it stumbled on the threshing floor. Uzzah touched it. it Uzzah, that was raised in his house. That was in his home, his daddy's home for 20 years. He probably played on that thing 100 times. But when, it was very, when there was no manifested glory, there was no judgment. But the greater the glory, the greater the judgment. So when we keep praying, God, send your glory, we're also saying, God, increase the judgment. Leviticus 16, 13. (laughs) What produces the cloud that his glory dwells in? And he shall put incense on the fire before the altar. The the altar of, there was an altar of incense, and they would put incense on, on that altar and put fire on it. What they would do when the high priest would go in before the Holy of Holies to where the manifest glory of God was, they would take the altar of incense and they would move it behind the curtain and they would light it on fire and the smoke would cover the cloud. Everybody say the cloud. They call it the cloud. They call it the cloud. The cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat. That is the testimony lest he die. We got to move on. I, uh, just stay with me, guys. Don't don't be in a hurry. This is Revelation eight, verse one. Don't be in a rush. Can you come, Andrew? The incense. We're going to find out what it is here in a moment. If, Revelation chapter eight, verse one. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw seven angels who stood before God, and seven trumpets were given them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, the altar of incense. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke, or the cloud of the incense, with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. The cloud is produced when the fire of God is mixed with the intercession of God's people. The incense, the prayers, the altar of incense, the prayers of the saints lit by the fire of the Holy Ghost is what produced the cloud that God's glory would dwell in. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar. And he threw it to the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightnings, and an earthquake. <coughs> this kingdom of priests that get to go and minister before the throne of God intercession, that prayer and that worship, and you can't separate the two. You cannot separate the two. That intercession, that prayer and worship produces a cloud, 
produces the cloud of heaven, produces the cloud that his glory is. And I'm going to make a statement here and back it up in Scripture in a moment. It will produce the cloud Jesus will come back riding on. The Bible says, when the Spirit and the bride say, come. When the Spirit and the bride are in perfect agreement in intercession, then Jesus will come. The cloud <coughs> that he's riding on, <coughs> the cloud he's riding on, what this is focusing us, focusing us on is that it is on the prayers and the intercessions of the saints that the end time judgments are going to be released, that the end time glory is going to be released, and ultimately Jesus is going to come back on. I'm going to say that again because you got to get a hold of this. When you see, he says, a kingdom of priests, and behold, he's coming on the cloud. What he is telling you is, I have anointed you. I have given you a kingly anointing to be a joint heir with me, to come and minister before my Father. And I am going to use your intercession and your connection and your divine to also release the greatest manifestation of glory the world has ever seen and to release the greatest judgments. You are not bystanders in the end time events. You are active at participants with me. I have destined you to rule and reign with me forever, and you're going to begin to function in that anointing even now. Wow. All right, that's, maybe that's too heavy. Watch this. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. We just saw where those clouds were produced. They were produced by the intercession of the saints that were taken before the throne of God. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Jesus is coming back, and he's riding on the cloud that is produced by the prayer and intercession of an end-time prophetic prayer and worship anointing, a kingdom of priests that have learned how to come before God, to minister to God, and reveal Jesus to the world. And that will produce this cloud that God's glory will dwell in, that Jesus will respond. When the Spirit and the bride, when the Spirit and the bride, when the flame from the altar and the incense is ignited together, then Jesus is coming back. What happened we saw it in Revelation? The angel took the coal, the fire from the altar. He put it on the censer. He lit it on fire. He threw it back to the earth. There were thunders and lightnings. Read. Read the seventh seal. Read the seventh bowl of uh, trumpet. Read the seventh bowl of wrath. Read. They're talking about the events of the end times. What they says in Revelation chapter 8, what he's revealing is the prayers of the saints are going to be mixed with the fire of the Holy Ghost at the altar. And then when they're thrown back to the earth. The end time judgments are being released. God is going to use us to release the greatest anointing and manifestation of his glory the world has ever seen. Light to one side and to release judgments upon the earth. Darkness to the other side. And only a people who are completely
completely surrendered to him can be trusted with such authority. Compromisers can't have it. Backsliders can't have it. Fearful people can't have it. Only those who have leaned heavily upon him, who behold him, who trust completely in his faithfulness and trustworthiness and have worshiped him can be trusted with his end time authority. But you're going to begin to see an army of saints. Some of them will be as young as eight or nine or ten years old. And they are going to pray and the glory cloud is going to come and you'll see miracles like you've never seen before and you'll also see judgments on wicked like you've never seen before. Because the world is going to know that God is God. The world is going to know God is God. And like we read last night, the wicked man, when you give him a lot of mercy, he still will not know righteousness. He will not know righteousness. So God is going to shake some people and shake some nations and shake some things like we've never seen. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. He promised that. He said that. Yet once more, yet once more, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Why? So that that which cannot be shaken, which is Jesus, will remain. But if you're living in an escapism mode that you're just waiting to jump out of here, and you're just, well, things are not going to get bad. We're going to all, we're going to rapture out of here. Then when it's, then everything's going to get crazy. You are going to be sorely, sorely mistaken and, and very easily become offended because you're going to see all this going on and you're saying, God, why is it so bad? I, I was told all along it's basically going to be peace and safety. Boom, we're out of here. Then the craziness happens. God say, no, I'm bringing a people who are going to be a kingdom of priests who are so caught away with me have come into the chambers and while I, and they're so beholding me and as they're beholding me and releasing me the judgments are also but they're at such perfect peace I told them to come hide with me while the indignation happens they're going to be in they're going to be so enraptured with who I am that they're not going to be troubled by all the other stuff that's going on and as we saw prayed yesterday in Isaiah 26, the favor, the blessing, the divine provision, the inheritance of total provision, all of the favor is going to be so heavily upon the kingdom of priests, the throne room dwellers, that those in darkness will become enraged and they will become ashamed because it will be so clear. While the world is suffering, they are thriving. God is with them. Jesus. We're just scratching the surface. You begin to understand why these revelations of Christ are so important? When we see him as he is, as the high priest that ever liveth to intercede, we begin to see what we're called to. Woo. You say, Brother Steve, I, 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 you know, I hear you, but man, I don't really like prayer. That's because you haven't tapped into this yet. When you tap into this, it, 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 it's sweeter than wine. It's, it's, it's more tasty than the honeycomb, as the Bible says. It, oh, when you taste of this, you'll be saying, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. But you begin to say, you say, God, you call me to be a kingdom of priests. Teach me that. Bring me into that. Separate me unto that. Let me be an experience. I want to learn. Teach me how to minister to you. 
don't we ask God, hey, Lord, what songs would you like to hear tonight? Well, that just got quiet. I remember one time there was a song we kept, we did a lot. And I said, Lord, I, I had it on the schedule again. I said, Lord, I'm tired of that song. He said, yeah, I am too. That's what he said. Because when it becomes tired to you, then you're not worshiping him with it. I said, well, what should I sing? He says, I like the ones you write. Not because they were better than the ones other people write, but because it was from my heart. He says, I like the ones you write. I said, oh, cool. God likes my songs. Nobody else might like my songs, but God likes my songs. This is cool. I know some of you wives are saying, you just gave my husband permission in the shower. I, well, how dare you? He'll be up there singing, ah, Jesus. But God says, that's beautiful. 